from a clip from a Terence Maylock film. The nuns, she says, taught us there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you will follow. This way of destruction, this way of violence, this way that looks out for itself, or this way of grace, this way of amazing, abundant grace. Uh, We've been spending the last three weeks looking at this story that Jesus told of a father and two sons. It's found in Luke 15, and uh, this morning... I want to wrap up looking at that text. We spent a week looking at the relationship between the younger son and the father, a week looking at the relationship between the elder son and the father, and this week I want to look primarily at the father and primarily at the idea of grace, the way of grace. There was a father. He had two sons. The younger son came to his father and he said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me what's coming to me. In other words, I wish you were already dead. Give me what's coming to me when you die now. And the father did it. He divided the property. He divided his very life between them. And he gave the younger son his share, and he gave the elder son his share. And the younger son proceeded to sell off his share, and he took his wealth, and he left and went to a far-off country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. And when he had spent everything he had, the land he was in had a famine, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to a local citizen who hired him to feed the pigs. And as he's feeding the pigs, he longed to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And finally, he came to his senses and he said to himself, How many of my father's hired servants not only have bread to eat, but they have more than enough bread to eat. They have food to spare. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he started the long journey home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And his father was filled with compassion. And his father ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. When he was still a long way off. We can be far, far from God, and he is still looking for us. We can walk away from faith, 
but we cannot walk away from grace because grace is already there. It's always present. It's always available. We can leave by the back door, as Tom sang, and throw away the key. But there's often a moment that comes where we realize, for the first time, we feel love. We can be far, far away and still experience the love and the grace of God. Robert Farrar Capone says this, to lose faith is not to lose grace. You can't get away from a love that will not let you go. Wherever we go, whatever we've done, whoever we are, God's love and grace is always there, always present, always available. All we have to do is say yes. Yes, I receive it. I will accept that I am accepted. That's all we have to do. If the gospel is anything at all, it is a gospel of grace. It begins and it ends with grace. One of the very first Christians, Paul, if anyone knows something about grace, it's this man. He used to be called Saul. And he used to kill Christians because he lived by the letter of the law He was moral and upright and self-righteous. And he knew what was right. He knew what was wrong. And these people who were deciding to follow this man, Jesus, he decided to start killing them. He would execute them. He would have them stoned. He would have them beaten. Until one day, Saul was struck by grace. He was struck by grace, and it totally changed his life forever. And he started telling other people about Jesus. And he started spreading the good news of the gospel of grace. The very people he once killed, he was now bringing into this way of grace, the way of Jesus. And Paul, we have preserved in our scriptures a number of letters that Paul wrote to a number of churches. And every single one of those letters begins with grace and ends with grace. Every single one of them. Let's take a look at a few. The letter to the church in Rome begins, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends that letter by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He opens his first letter to the church in Corinth. Grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends that letter by saying, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. His second letter to this same church. Grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends that letter. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. His letter to Galatians. Grace and peace 
to you. He ends that letter, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The letter to the church at Ephesus, grace and peace to you. And he ends that letter by saying, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. The letter to the church at Philippi, grace and peace to you. And he ends that letter, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And on and on it goes. Colossians, Thessalonians, his letters to Timothy, his letters to Titus, they begin with grace and they end with grace. And then we have this short little letter he wrote to a guy named Philemon. It's only 25 verses long. And you would think if it's only 25 verses long, Paul's going to get right to the point. Let's skip over the grace stuff, right? But the point is grace. It begins with grace. The grace, grace and peace to you. And it ends with grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And Paul's not the only one. A guy named Peter, he wrote two letters that we have. And they begin and they end with grace. His second letter ends this way. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So Peter is telling us that grace is not only something we receive, it's also something we grow in, that we have the capacity to grow in grace. We receive grace and we grow in grace. We aren't able to grow in grace unless we first receive grace. We live in a culture where I think it's often very difficult for us to receive. It's easier to give and know in the back of our minds they owe us. They owe us. But when we receive, We often live with this feeling, I owe them. They had us over for dinner. We should have them over for dinner. She bought my lunch this time, so next time we meet, it's my turn to buy lunch for her. We we live with this tit-for-tat, give-and-take worldview. The thing about grace is you can't pay it back. It's a gift. It's sheer gift. When I was a senior in college, about to graduate, I had been journeying with a pastor who was like a mentor to me, and He kept telling me over and over again, Matt, you need to go to seminary. Matt, you need to go to seminary. Matt, you need to go to seminary. And I kept saying over and over again, no way, no way, no way. Not only can I not afford it, but I'm I'm done with school for a while. I'm going to go be a gypsy for Jesus, just travel around, and I'm I'm not going to seminary. God's going to have to give me a major kick in the butt if God wants me to go to seminary. One day... This pastor, a friend of mine, he sits me down in his office and he says, Matt, 
I had lunch with someone yesterday, and they said that they had it laid on their heart to put Matt Crick through seminary. (laughs) So there's your kick in the butt. And so I went to seminary. Grace. This is something I could not pay back. This was grace. And I had a choice. I could either receive this grace with joy or reject it and say, no, I'm not taking that gift. Uh, This donor was anonymous, so I I couldn't pay this person back. I couldn't even say thank you. I, I would write, every semester I made myself write a letter to this person, and I gave it to my pastor friend, and I said, will you give this to this person? Yep, I'll give this to this person. But that's all I could do. Until about three years in, the seminary gives me some paperwork and says, will you have your pastor friend sign this paperwork? They didn't put it in an envelope or anything. So I said, sure. I look at it, and his grandmother's name is on it. Uh, I was a part of a very large church at the time. There were many very wealthy people in the church. There were all kinds of people in that church that I thought, oh, it could be that person, could be that person, could be that person. I never, ever, ever imagined his grandma. She was not wealthy. She lived alone in a small condo. And she gave what she could to pay my way through seminary. She paid it, the whole thing. And a couple of years later, she passed away. You can't pay it back. It's grace. It's gift. It's sheer gift. This this boy, he's off in a far country, and he says, I know. I know what I'll do. I'll see if I can pay it back. Father, just make me like a hired servant and let me try to begin to make money to pay it back. The Father won't hear it. You can't pay it back. Just make me a servant. No, you're my boy. Bring the best robe. Bring a ring for his finger. Bring sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf Let's throw a party because this son of mine was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he is alive. The boy has a choice. Either argue with his father and say, no, make me a hired servant instead, or simply accept that he is accepted. Simply receive the gift that no, son, you are not dead to me. I have been with you all along. I have been waiting for this moment of return. You're my son. You're my boy. And we're throwing a party. We're throwing a party. The uh, philosopher and theologian Paul Tillich, he once wrote an essay about grace. And he asks this question, do we know what it means to be struck by grace? 
Do we know what it means? He says it does not mean that we suddenly believe that God exists or that Jesus is the Savior or that the Bible contains the truth. He's saying grace is available to everybody no matter what, whether you believe or don't believe, whether you're a saint or a sinner, whether you're righteous or not. Grace is freely available to everyone. The tree that provides shade for one person provides shade for another person. The beauty of God's creation is available for everyone. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rain is provided for the righteous and the unrighteous. Grace just is. There's nothing you can do to get it. It's just there. It's available to you. He says to believe that something is, is almost contrary to the meaning of grace. Furthermore, grace does not mean simply that we are making progress in our moral self-control, in, in our fight against special faults, and in our relationship to men and to society. Moral progress may be a fruit of grace, but it is not grace itself. And it can even prevent us from receiving grace. And if we don't believe that, let's remember the elder son whose moral progress had gotten him to the point where he refused grace. He would not go into the party. He comes in from working in the fields and he asks the servant, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf and he's throwing a party for your brother. And the older brother becomes angry and refused to go in. And so what does the father do? He goes out to his older son with the same posture he went to his younger son. It is the posture of grace. And he comes to his older son and pleads with him to come in. And the, the older son says, what, what are you thinking, dad? What are you thinking? This son of yours, he squandered all your wealth. And you kill the fatted calf for him. You haven't even given me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. Resentment. Anger. This is what the moral progress of the older brother has brought him to a point of self righteous self pity. And he refuses the grace, refuses to go into the party. And the father looks at him and he says, My son. Still calls him his son. My son, everything I have is yours. Everything. What what is it you want? It's all yours. Everything. Everything you have, you need. You have more than you could ever ask or imagine. So will you join me? In celebrating, will you join me in this way 
of grace because this brother of yours, he was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. We had to celebrate. Won't you join me? A little later on, till it continues, he says that grace strikes us at different seasons and in different ways. He says, grace strikes us when we are in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when we feel that our separation is deeper than usual because we have violated another life, a life which we loved or from which we were estranged. It strikes us when in our disgust for our own being, our indifference, our weakness, our hostility, and our lack of direction and composure, we have become intolerable to us. It strikes us when year after year the longed-for perfection of life does not appear. When the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage, sometimes... At that moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness, and it is as though a voice were saying, you are accepted. You're accepted. You're accepted. No matter what feelings you have, no matter what compulsions you have, no matter what old demons you continue to wrestle with, you are accepted accepted, accepted by that which is greater than you, and the name of which you do not know. Do not ask for the name now. Perhaps you will find it later. Do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. If that happens to us, we experience grace. And after such an experience, we may not be better than before, we may not believe more than before, but everything is transformed. In that moment, grace conquers sin, and reconciliation bridges the gulf of estrangement. And nothing is demanded of this experience, no religious or moral or intellectual presupposition, nothing but acceptance. Accepting the grace that says, you are accepted. The younger son accepts this grace. We're left to wonder about the older son. The younger son accepts this grace that he is accepted. Maybe this morning you need to be struck by grace anew. Maybe you need to let go of whatever presuppositions you have that God wants to strike you with lightning or strike you with wrath and instead believe the gospel truth that from beginning to end, it is grace, grace, and more grace. And grace is always on the lookout. Grace is always freely available. 
Grace is always there for the taking. And all we have to do is say yes. Yes to this grace. That's all we have to do. Yes. Yes, God. I will receive that grace. No no hammered out speeches. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to become your, be your son. Make me like a higher... No. Yes, God. I receive this grace that you so freely offer to me. And I know I can't pay it back because it's free. Because it's grace. That's what it is. It's gift. Freely given. This gift, the bread and the cup, this gift that Jesus left us, uh, sometimes we call it the Eucharist, which means good gift. Good grace. Jesus left us this as a reminder of his grace, that he was betrayed. He gave up everything so that we could have everything. Grace, his body broken, his blood shed, so that we could have grace. He, he didn't do this after we came to a decision of faith. He didn't do this after we decided, okay, I want to be a better person. He did this while we were still powerless. Notice this text from Paul. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And a couple of verses later, he continues, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still Sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still messed up, while we were still screwed up, while we still were completely broken, everything falling apart, Christ died for us. He took the shame so we didn't have to. Grace. Grace. This morning, as you come and take this bread and dip it in this cup, perhaps this morning you need to be struck by grace anew. Uh, Maybe for you, you've never said yes to grace. And maybe this morning, for the first time, you want to say yes. Yes to this grace that is so freely offered. Maybe for you this morning, you've been carrying something around with you for years and years and years, and you live with this guilt and shame, and you just need to say yes to grace. Jesus, on the cross, he says, it is finished. In other words, I don't keep bringing it up. Why do you? 
Why are you still carrying this around with you? Why do you keep asking me to forgive you? What are you you talking about? Bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals. Let's have a party. It's forgiven because it's grace, grace, and more grace. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God of grace and that grace is always there for the taking. There's nothing we can do to get it. There's no way we can pay it back. It's simply there. God, I pray this morning that we would say yes again to this grace. That we would see that you have been on the lookout for us from eternity past. And your grace, your grace is sufficient. May we say yes and recognize that you accept us. We are accepted. We pray this in the powerful and grace-filled name of Jesus. Amen. As you go this morning, may you experience the way of grace. May you know God's grace is with you. And it always has been. It's always there for the taking. We, we just have to say yes. Yes to grace, grace, and more grace. Grace and peace be with you.